This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, January 28th, 2017. The title of today's show, Super Secrets of Awesome Appendix. And we have Jeffro Johnson, the man, the myth, the legend, here on the show to talk about his brand new book, his brand new best-selling book, a book that dominated simultaneously three categories on Amazon.com. We have Jeffro Johnson on the show, ready to talk about it. And we have, I have been told, a great number of people who are going to be showing up in the chat. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Remember, folks, if you're in the chat, and you want to participate, you want to have questions, type them out, and one of us will gather those up, and we will uh, put them into the show. But before we start, I'm going to allow my two co-hosts to say hi while I physically stand up and run and get a little bit of water. So... Don't destroy the show, guys. I'm going to be gone for just a minute. John, how are things going? Doing good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Jeffro. Looking forward to chatting about uh, D&D and stuff today as I've been trying to do a little planning myself on my game. Um, I also wanted to point out before we get to Brian's hello that uh, as soon as Daddy Warpig shuts up and says, I'm going to get up and get a, a drink of water, we lose like two viewers live. How's it going, Brian? It's going excellent. It, it, this will be a day long remembered. Jeffro, I, I'm overjoyed to have you here, man. Great to see you on the gab. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank, thanks for having me, guys. This is this is really great. Uh, I've been I've been wanting to do this for a year. <laughs> Well, it's like waiting for Christmas, you know. It, the delayed gratification adds adds savor. Yeah, I actually. So also, yeah, I actually contacted Jeffro. I think on Google Plus um, a year ago, and I invited him to come on the show. And he said that he couldn't until, or he didn't want to until the book came out. And I, I won't lie, I was disappointed. But we found, you know, other people to to put into the spot. Um, so our, our second choice was Adam Baldwin, the actor. So we uh, we reluctantly and disappointedly went with uh, a major Hollywood star instead of Jeffro. But our first pick had always been Jeffro. So we are great grateful that he can finally come on the show. I, <laughs> See, wow. folks. This this is what he does to us every week. When in those in those <laughs> moments where, where Daddy Warpig is is shocked at how he's stunned the whole audience, it's because we're we're laughing behind the the mute. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I can't believe that actually happened, uh, but, <laughs> but that that sounds too crazy to be untrue. So uh, that's amazing. Um. So before we get into uh, Appendix N and also the book, we're going to be talking about two subjects, folks, and they both have the exact same name, one of which is an actual appendix, a physical printed book called Appendix N. We've talked about it before on the show, and I'm going to assume most of the people listening have already heard about it. The other is a book, a book called Appendix N, the literary history of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, for those of you who want to check out this book during or after the show, I have included a link to it and a link to uh, Jeffro's blog in the description of the video. For those of you who are listening later on iTunes and stuff, it'll be do a get info. It'll all be there so that you can go and check out this awesome book. Um, but before we discuss before we discuss Appendix N, I uh, want to let uh, Jeffro do a little bit of uh, introduction about himself so that those of you who don't know who he is can uh, can get caught up. And go! Okay, long, long time ago, I I was uh, 
I was this little kid in the early eighties and there was this, uh, this, 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 this model shop, bike store, model train place. And I, I went into this place and it had these little games, uh, little bitty, there were, there were just these little games in plastic pocket boxes and they were from Steve Jackson games and they had car wars, truck stop, Sunday drivers, ogre and GEV. And I, I, I just, I was completely smitten by these things. And uh, the, the hobby was new. It was lean and mean and weird. And uh, I found this other place, like a game store, where they had they had this this game from Palladium Games called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangers. It was the weirdest thing I had ever seen. I'd always wanted something that weird. And, like I finally had something weird. And the the Eastman and Laird artwork was just awesome. And I never saw any D and D anywhere though. Uh, that that wasn't that never really got up on my radar until I was at a teacher supply store and they had an old copy of the Moldvay basic set, the purple D and D set from like 1980 or so. And I got that thing and I had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> um, everybody else online has all these great nostalgia stories about how awesome their D and D group was. You know, like if you go back and look at all the games that I played as a middle school student and a high school student, they were they were mostly disasters because I just had no idea. And and so it became this 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 kind of this kind of thing with me. I, I would I would buy role playing games. I knew I loved role playing games. I wanted to love role playing games, and I just didn't know what to do with them at all. And and I would buy a supplement uh, to 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 try to address the problem. And I always I felt bad. I would. You know, if I had board games, I would buy them and play them. And I'd, if I had a stack of them that I hadn't played yet, I just wouldn't buy any. But I had stacks and stacks and stacks of role-playing games, and 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 I wasn't playing them, and I didn't know how to play them, or I'd play them, and it just wouldn't feel right. So something was wrong. I didn't know what it was exactly. Uh, but one day, I threw out all of my Traveler supplements uh, for GURPS Traveler, I threw out my GURPS books, except for the, the GURPS Prime Directive one. And yeah. I, took, I, I, took, I took Star Trek, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Origins, and I'm going to run this game. And what I did was I, I freed up my mind from trying to do what I thought everybody in the role-playing universe was saying you were supposed to do. And I said, you know what? Forget about realism. You know, this is going to be the Star Trek universe that has Apollo in it. And it's going to have gangster world in it, and it's going to have the, uh, the the that that world where uh, uh, Christians fight on television in the arena in ancient Rome, and like the the weird ancient Rome, right? And it's like I'm just going to free myself up to just do whatever I want with this, but it's still going to be the Star Trek universe. And when I did that, suddenly I got play, I got successful play, I got engaged players, and I wasn't sitting there with this script in my head going the whole time. Astrophysicists and economists will not uh, be uh, find this gameplay acceptable. You're, you're not good enough to be a GURPS Traveler supplement. So that all died, and we just started playing. And I think what I stumbled upon was that the pulp ethos has a direct connection to the role-playing medium. And... It is awesome. So um, when I started reading the Appendix N books, um, it, you know, you, you read, you only have to read a couple of them before you, you, you're, you just, it changes how you view everything, Especially, particularly if they, you had no idea what they are. I came in completely cold. And within a couple of books, it was like, oh, oh, you know, this really does change. Somebody should write a book on this. Why isn't anybody talking about this? This is a huge, huge story, but it's like a secret that's only on a couple of, of old school gaming blogs on the internet that, 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 that have, where, where the conversation has actually stopped. So I, I came in years after the conversation had died and, 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 and somewhat as an outsider. I'm not, I'm not like a, a typical TSR fanboy, you know, who is just, you know, who has a friend who played in the Wisconsin games in the 70s. You know, I'm completely outside. I'm a Car Wars fan, you know. <laughs> that's the game that I play. Um, so that, that's kind of me in a nutshell. 
and how I got in tune with this whole thing. Um, so for the for those of you in the audience who don't know, uh, the first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Game Master's Guide, uh, written by Gary Gygax, had uh, several appendices in the back. One of those appendices listed literature that had been inspirational for him in developing Dungeons and Dragons. And I want to, that's the nice description. That's the bookstore description. I'm going to tell you what it really was. It is all of the sources that Gary Gygax, and I mean this in the nicest, most positive, admiration-filled way possible. Those were the sources, these books, these stories, these authors listed in Appendix N were the sources that Gary Gygax ripped off to create Dungeons and Dragons. They were the sources that provided a template for dungeon crawling. They were the sources that provided a template for adventurers and who they are and what they do. They were the sources that provided exact magical items and spells they lifted from these books and stories and plopped right down in the middle of Dungeons and Dragons. They were the sources for the original alignment system. They were the sources for uh, why in Deities and Demigods he discusses the fact that elves don't have souls. And so all of these books that he listed, all of these authors that he listed, had a direct impact on Dungeons and Dragons. And this impact has lasted to this day to where the core play of Dungeons and Dragons and many of the details in it are directly taken or directly inspired by these books. And so these aren't some peripheral thing that doesn't matter. These were integral in the creation of Dungeons and Dragons and the campaign worlds and the gameplay and the rules themselves. So if you don't know what Appendix N is, that's the best description that I can give you. And I'm going to let myself stop talking here to see if uh, either John or Brian uh, or Jeffro has something else to say. Well. Yeah, I just want to comment on what Jeffrey said about the epiphany he had, that, that breakthrough, the game started becoming fun. And that was an experience I very much had too. He's not alone. And I've always found that if it keeps you as the GM interested, then it's not going to be BS for the players. The... Um... There is a lot of people, and I guess we can take this to the next step. So there are these books listed. Jeffro started reading these books and started writing um, essays and analysis on um, on his blog. And, and I think you did one issue or one book a week, didn't you? It was it was a crazy pace. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't do anything else when I was doing it. It's like he would invite me to go out with them or to do something, and the, and I would just say, nope, busy. Uh, and it was like that for basically a year straight. I, 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 uh, it, it was, it was like a death march <laughs> and, huh. and like, uh, I would be working on, uh, two or three of them at one time. So I would have one queued up and, and I, I would sit down and, and the process was, you know, if I couldn't write, I only needed to write three paragraphs a day to do a book, which is it's not really that much. But if I, if I didn't have three paragraphs in me, I, I would sit down and be like, okay, well, maybe I can edit something. And I would go back. I would just read, start to finish the, the next post in the queue, and then make incremental changes to it. Um, and sometimes I just didn't even have that. I didn't have that one ounce of creativity. It's like, well, I've got something to read. So for 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 basically a year, I I never had a doubt what I needed to be doing in order to work on the project because it was either writing, revising, or reading. One of those, one of those three things, and as soon as one would go out, you know, if, if if there were no comments on one, which happened, you know, like once or twice, you know, I didn't have time to feel bad about it or or to, or to worry about it or think, well, where did I go wrong? I I was too busy on to the next thing, and 
on top of that, there would be just the, the large number of people who were pushing back at what I was doing, which is an, a whole nother story. So yeah, it was, it was an adventure. The, the, the writing of that book was an adventure in and of itself. Uh, and it recapitulates a lot of the themes of the books, which is what's kind of funny <laughs> in retrospect. So, um, yeah. Now the, the first draft of Appendix N was nominated for a Hugo, correct? Yes, it was. Twice. Yes, it was. And that was the exact title. That was the title of the blog post was the first draft of my Appendix N. And it was like, I wrote a book, you know, I mean, there, there are people that are in the science fiction and fantasy community that talk a whole lot about who is doing it wrong and who is doing it right. And I, you know, I saw those guys, and I saw how much everyone really were frustrated with them. To, and I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I can't, I just can't hold my face up at a convention if I am that guy. So it's like, I'm, I'm going to write a book and I'm, you know, it may not be published, right? But I'm going to write the book. And so you can say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote a book. You know, I, I wrote one, you know? Um, so it was, yeah, <laughs> I don't, where did I go? I went off the rails here. What, what was the question again? No, you're fine. <laughs> the question you I had super abundantly. Go ahead. The question I had is this, when did you, cause I believe when I first started reading your blog, um, that you hadn't yet decided to actually try and get this published for real. Um, that it wasn't quite a book yet. It was a compilation of, of articles because you weren't, you know, I don't know, you might've been halfway through, you might've been less. Okay, that, um, this actually, this ties into the title of the show. So I'm, I'm going to divulge a secret of Appendix N that nobody knows. Um, and I'm gonna invoke a name that you should not say, or at least, at least it used to be that way, I don't know. Tell me, how would you tell me if it wasn't if I wasn't supposed to say it? If you can't say it, well, let, let's just see where this goes. So, um, when I started writing, and especially when 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 I came to Castelia House, uh, that was immediately greeted by people in my circles as a big no-no. This was this was like I moved to the wrong lunch table and it was threatening relationships. And, and I was like, well, this doesn't, I don't know, something doesn't feel right about this. Oh, you know why I went over? Uh, th this may be too much of a tangent, but I, I saw what was going on with, with Vox Day in, in a Sad Puppies 2, I think it was. And he wrote this story about a, a, an, an elf necromancer right, who has a friend in a monastery and he ends up converting to Christianity. It's this really, I, I, I actually know people that are like that in real life. And, and it's, it was like, it was one of the most real stories I had read a long time. And so, so you had this, this mass of people who were like, you know, no, get this guy out of here. You know, who, who let this guy in, you know, and, and, and it, 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 it offended me. Um, that he was getting treated this way. And, and you know, I didn't know Vox Day from Adam at this time. I did, I, all I saw was that this guy was not being treated fairly. And, and, it, and it, it, it offended my, like, my righteous indignation side to the point where I was like, you know, I don't care what anybody else is, is doing or what they say, uh, but, but they kind of drew a line in the sand. And it's like, you know, if that's how you're gonna treat him, I'm gonna be on that side of the line with him. I don't care who he is, I'm gonna be there. So I actually rode up on a white horse to save Vox Day, <laughs> which, it, it, yeah, no, that's that that's actually what was going on. So I, you know, so uh, so I, I started. I you know he put out a call for bloggers at Castelia House, and 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 I was I looked at what they did. I saw their their mission statement, and they 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 said they had something on there about you know they wanted to bring back books by by J.R. Tolkien uh, and and. Herman Hesse, and, and then some guy, uh, Robert E. Howard, that I, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're gonna put Robert E. Howard on the same level as J.R.R. Tolkien? That's, that's ridiculous. That was what, that was Jeff Rowe 20, 20, you know, before I read Robert E. Howard. That was what, that was my impression. I was like, that's a little bit risque. Um, so I came on, I, I came on because, but I, I the, the gist of their mission statement, I was like, you know, I think I was born to write 
in this whole ethos. I, I, this is what I was born to do. So I, 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 I got with Vox Day and I said, hey, can you guys use a game blogger? And I was expecting, you know, to be, you know, because gaming is synonymous with with not serious, especially when you're talking about literature. And I was I was expecting, you know, to be to be turned down. I, I just I was excited, though. I asked him. And he was like, oh, heck, yeah, we could totally use a game blogger. And so um, so I, I came in and uh, I, I started writing these posts and I would I would get these these emails from Vox, you know, who who. I, and again, I didn't quite know who exactly he was yet because I hadn't read enough yet. But I'd get these emails from him and it'd be like, hey, that was pretty good. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I bet you say that to all the bloggers, right? And next week, another, another email. Hey, you know, you, no, you're actually pretty good. And, um, and uh, so he saw before anybody else, uh, I think, what the implications of what I was doing was. Um, and uh, which is really significant given the reaction uh, with all the Hugo stuff the next couple of years. Um, he, he, I, I don't think any, even, even my closest fans, I don't think they saw where this was going and what it could be, but I'm convinced that, that he had an inkling of it way before anybody else. So, you know, I, nobody, people are afraid to talk about him and who he is and what he does and, and why, but, uh, you know, yes, this is the secret. The secret of, of Appendix N is he knew. <laughs> he knew it was important before anybody else. And, yes, the, the, the talk of a book happened way early. I, my lips were sealed on that because it was really controversial. But, yeah, Castalia House, it was, it was exactly, I think, um, and, and they can could, they could correct the record if I'm out of line here, but my book it has a very niche audience. But it, it was exactly what Castalia House was was established to do. It's it's that sort of a book. So that's 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 the the story behind the story, and I, I don't think that's ever been shared anywhere else. Wow, that that is quite an odyssey. <laughs> Let me just reassure that if if you committed a no no, then you and I have now committed the same no no. <laughs> so in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> We're this boat together. With evil. Oh boy. Well, yeah, they have cookies. Didn't you get the memo? Oh, very nice. They're good. So, no so worries. here's what I'm not clear on because it, it sounds like a great journey that you had, uh, experiencing these original influences for these games that we love. What is, what was controversial about that? Um. Okay. Um, okay. I, while I was writing it, I, I would I would read a book. So it's, it's 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 going back to the original sources is what I was doing, and this is this is why why my stuff seemed to come out of nowhere to a lot of people. It, it really blindsided a lot of people. I think just judging from their comments, um, and, and the reason it was so different um, is because. I was going back to the original sources for what science fiction and fantasy is, and they have been so buried that people don't even know the names of the authors I'm writing about. So this is this is literally lost works. It's it's like it's like in the Bible when when uh, I think it was Josiah was king, and the, the priests kind of find this old book, you know, in the temples, and they're like, "Hey, we found this book," and it was it was. You know, it was the Hebrew scriptures, right? And it was, they're like, oh man, we've been doing it wrong, right? <laughs> it was like that uh, when I did it. Um, why was it controversial? Because uh, starting in about 1940, there, and, and C.S. Lewis wrote a book about it, I think. Uh, it's it's the, the Abolition of Man is the, the shortest description of, of how this went down in the earliest stages. But there was an incursion where people came in and they uh, systematically took over our cultural institutions. And, um, you know, uh, I, I told this to Declan Finn that, that, you know, a lot of people in science fiction that are really hardcore, they want to they wanna turn things back to, to, to 1990 or so before the SJW stuff kind of got crazy. And then I came in and when, and when I was first doing Appendix in, I was like, hey, you know, if you go back before 1980, there was actually ideological diversity in science fiction and fantasy. 
And I said that, and the the snarky people out on the internet were like, "You you can't say that." Ah, you know what do you mean? What do you mean ideological diversity? We've got a look. Bain still exists. They're, they they have a pariah status. Doesn't that count as something? And it was like, no, it doesn't. And so um, where this really gets crazy uh, is, uh, and, and you know, if you're in science fiction, fantasy discussion and criticism and, as you, and talk about movies and video games and, and everything else, you, if you look at the, at the talk, you know, there's this, this litany of all the things that you're not supposed to do. And, and, and if anyone even comes close to crossing the line, you know, then the alarm bells goes off and, and the, the police the the uh, cultural police come and and they they either put you out of business or or you you know you you hang your head in shame and you do whatever you have to do to get back in good with them but then you're only kind of like in a so so status you they're watching you from then on out um, you go back and look at the stuff before 1940 and boom everything all the time does all the things that they said not to and and it is so mind-blowingly awesome it, it it's it's incredible and you're like nobody's talking about it because because everybody everybody in in the sad puppies which was the hardcore evil bad guys of of the that the mainstream media had to completely crush because they were so threatening um they're talking about getting back to say yeah when you know it was asimov and heinlein and clark but you know, those guys were pipsqueaks compared to what came before Nobody really is aware of, of what those guys were intended to replace. And so when I went, this was totally an accident. I had no idea this was going to happen when I started the book. When I did that series, it brought these books back into the discussion. And the discussion was what I started. The way I was talking about it, it stripped out all of the stuff where people have to kind of ritualistically say, well, this has some fine points to it, but, you know, it's a little bit risque. You know, we, we don't want to endorse the bad part. I never did any of that stuff. And so when I started talking about them, it was the first time in a lot of people's consciousness where these works were talked about in kind of just a simple, direct, these are awesome. Everywhere else, you go to, like, you go to, the, to Tor.com and, and, and Black Gate, you know, there, there will be these these points in the reviews or the discussion or the commentary where people have to say, oh yeah, by the way, you know, we've evolved beyond this and we are better than them. You know, they, they have to say it um, or else they'll, they'll be kicked out of the club. And so, you know, what I think happened is that this stuff has gone on. People have said that for so long and the, 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 the list of which authors you can talk about and, and who, and, and how to talk about them is, has been enforced socially really, really aggressively for decades. And when I came out and, and just ignored all that, it was the first time people heard about these books in a context where it was completely positive. And when they heard me talking about them, they didn't know it was going to be good. They didn't know me from Adam. They didn't know these books from Adam. They were like, eh, that sounds pretty interesting. I'll go read them. And then they read them. And it would blow their minds how good this was. And then they had this moment where they'd be like, it's like, like Luke. And, uh, and he's like, why didn't you tell me, you know, he's, why didn't you tell me that this stuff was so good? You know? And you're like, no, you have this moment of, you know, I've wasted my whole life reading garbage when there's stuff that this is this good out there. And so these people that had that experience and, it, and it's very, you know, people that read the book, it happens to them consistently. You know, they don't even know that this is the thing. They just come in, they read the book and they're like, Hey, I want to write this review on this, but I've got to go read these books now. Um, and it, it is it, the thing that makes this thing a thing is how great the books are because the people that they, they go read them and it, it's, they feel betrayed, I think, by science fiction, fantasy fandom, by all the news sites, by everything, because they never got the message how good this was. And they, you know, when they read like five, get to the fifth or the sixth book, there's like another level of, of, of disillusionment that, that kind of happens to them. They're like, then they become rabid, you know, uh, they, they, then they start wanting to create, they start wanting to write, they, they, they start wanting to blog at Castalia House. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's unreal what's happening, but the only reason it can happen, it, it's not because, you know, I'm 
a brilliant writer. It's because these books were were buried completely unfair, fairly. I mean, if you're if you're talking about Isaac Asimov instead of A. Merritt, then you have been sold a bill of goods, and the implications of that are it's just mind blowing. It's just mind blowing. Lewis Pulsifer told me that I can't say mind blowing. <laughs> because nothing is mind-blowing, but this is mind-blowing because something like this only happens in stories. So, so if I could summarize, I think I understand uh, where you're, where, what you've, what you've talked about that it's, I mean, over the years, over the course of human history, we've lost and regained a lot of knowledge and, and culture and things, but what makes this special or interesting is that it's evidence of a deliberate i want to say cover-up or a deliberate change of culture like it, a long time ago before we were born a lot of people got together and, and basically said these works aren't good because such a such and such a reason and they just disappeared through through deliberate action yes yes that that happened and and the reason why this is so successful is you, you they tried to disqualify me uh, and they tried to dismiss me, and, and they were pretty good at it for a while. They almost had me convinced that I was crazy. Um, they are very good at gaslighting, and they are very, they're very, you know, if you're a simple person who, who thinks everybody is honest, they, they really do fool a lot of people with the way they operate. Um, but you can't play those tricks on Gary Gygax. Um, he is too big to do that on. And you can't dismiss Dungeons and Dragons because as a cultural force, it is far more important, far more significant, far more influential than anything that is being written uh, by the science fiction and fantasy establishment that, that we have putting stuff on the shelf up at Barnes & Noble. Uh, uh, literature today, especially short fiction, is completely irrelevant to people's imagination, to, to how people they to how they comprehend science fiction, fantasy, how they think of it. Uh, but you go back and look at the 1970s, and you see a completely different world. You see a place where uh, dozens of short stories and novelettes were primary, uh, more important than anything Hollywood was doing, uh, more important than anything else. When, when the role-playing game designers of the 70s, that would be Gary Gygax and Mark Miller, uh, James Ward, uh, and Ken St. Andre, guys like that, when they sat down to play video games, uh, no, 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 to, to, to invent role-playing games and to play stuff, uh, the, the, the things that were primary, the things that they wanted to pretend and uh, experience vicariously had nothing to do at all with Hugo Award-winning works, with with serious stuff, with with, with they, they didn't want to play Dune. They didn't want to play Foundation. They didn't want to play. They didn't want to play uh, 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 the the Man Citizen in High Castle. Citizen of the Galaxy. Yeah, you know, all of the books that you think you're supposed to like were. That's not what they wanted to play. They wanted to play stuff by guys that that none of us have even heard of for the most part. E. C. Tubb and. Uh, 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 well, yeah, a merit, uh, and especially uh, more than anybody else, Edgar Rice Burroughs. When when you see the, the how in the earliest edition of D and D they had a class called Fighting Man, and oh, this this is like wow. Where did where did Gary Gygax get that guy? He, I, he was talking about John Carter of Mars uh, when he established. That's the guy he had in mind when he made the class. And when when Ken Saint Andre sat down to uh, create his fantasy worlds for tunnels and trolls. His idea of fantasy came from Tarzan. It didn't. It didn't come from Asimov, Heinlein, and Clark. It didn't come from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. It didn't come from any of the works that are on the lists that you see online about. Here, read these twenty-five books if you've never read science fiction and fantasy. Read these, and you'll get into it. You know, n none of the works that really motivated them uh, are, are are on those lists. And so what, 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 what this comes down to is, is um, there was a, a, a totally different culture, a totally different fan culture uh, that did not care what the people editing the magazines were doing. They didn't, these guys didn't care that Ursula K. Le Guin 
was being included in every single anthology side by side with guys like Lovecraft and, and Howard. They didn't care. You know, it didn't even register as something that had anything to do with anything. And they didn't care that Joanna Russ was writing uh, editorials inside of, of uh, the magazine of fantasy science fiction saying that heroic fantasy is bad for you, right? Um, they were completely disconnected from it. And you look back and you see this, you see how far out they were relative to what we think of as the mainstream. And you see how much, how much the people were able to change things when they were able to take over the gatekeeping positions. So um, that, that culture is very recent. You know, a lot of us were uh, alive uh, when Dungeons and Dragons was being made. A lot of us have the old books and they really do. They, they do look like something from a totally different culture. And, and the reason that they do is because they are. They are in fact from a totally different culture and our culture has been changed systematically uh, so that we are different from that generation in very big ways. Here's the thing. There is, and I want to explain why the older books are better. Because if you're listening to this and you haven't read the older books, you're not going to really understand why. But really, I'll be honest, my aim with this show, the reason why I invited Jeffro on is because I was one of the people Jeffro introduced to these books. And I've started reading them and they have uh, reinvigorated the work I've been doing with a new ethos, with a new uh, aesthetic. Um, and I can't talk about it yet, but uh, at some point in the future, um, I really do want to talk about it when it's closer to being done. But they have all of what he's saying when people come and read these and find that these are awesome and they're angry that they've been deprived of these great books their entire lives. All that stuff exactly happened to me. So my goal in this show is to get you interested enough in the awesomeness of these stories to go buy Jeffro's book because it's a great introduction to this era of, of storytelling. And hopefully by discovering the books that Jeffro talks about and the stories he talks about and the authors he talks about in his book, you will also go out and start reading more and more of these and find them as exciting and as imaginative and as inspirational as I do and as a large number of other people do. So I have no interests. I have no financial interests. I have no... Uh, other interests in this subject, other than the fact that I think these books are awesome. And I think that Jeffro's book is a great introduction to them. And so before we get back to allowing other people to talk, I want to tell you why these books are awesome. There is a change from before 1940 and after 1940. The works that came after 1940, by and large, were more constrained, were more stilted, were more restricted in their subject matter, in what tropes and ideas they could use. It is, as I explained to, uh, to someone at one point and then put it in a, uh, an essay that I wrote about Jeffro's book, Today's fantasy is as if it has been painted in black and white. Every single book you read is like a painting that only existed, that was only painted in black and white. Now, that's called grayscale. And you can do great and imaginative things in grayscale. But they're all grayscale. And so they're limited. And they are fundamentally share samey properties that make them all like each other. But what if one day someone led you to a painting that was painted in red and white, in red scale? That is fundamentally different. That is completely outside your experience of reading modern fantasy because it is absolutely not like everything else. And then they take you to another painting that's painted entirely in blue and white, in blue scale. And then for the piece de resistance, 
for the best thing that happens, they take you to a painting that's painted entirely in color, full color, all the colors, not restricted to black and white, not restricted to red and white, not restricted to blue and white. It's painted in all the colors. And you've never seen a painting like this before. You've never seen something that's painted in all the colors because all you're used to, all you have been used to for 30 years is black and white paintings. So that is exactly an analogy, analogous to this situation. I can't tell you how awesome these stories are exactly. You'll have to go and read them for yourselves. All I can promise you is, yes, these stories are awesome. These books are awesome. These authors are awesome. And they are well-written. They're not amateurish, which is the knock that had been started after 1940, is that these books were amateurish, that they were childish, that they were, and this is where the word pulpy became an insult. These works are not amateurish. They are written by exceedingly talented writers who rose to the top in an insanely competitive industry and who wrote great works. And these great works have been completely bypassed for bad reasons and for one person who was trying to do something right, but he was completely wrong about why he was doing it and managed to screw up science fiction for the next 70 years. Um, my thesis, and I will... I will talk about that later. I'll talk about that some other time on a blog post or another show. It doesn't matter. What I would like you as an audience to get from this show is that there is an entire universe of stories and authors that you've never heard of that are awesome in ways that you can't imagine right now because you've never experienced stories that are this unbound in imagination, stories that are this imaginative, stories that are this exciting, stories that are this... Um, energetic and yet so well written that it's going to astonish you if you've listened to all of the people who've told you how bad the pulps were and if you can just hear the excitement in my voice when i talk about it hear the excitement in jeffro's voice when he talks about it and read some of the other people or listen to some of the other people who have talked about this subject um and have your interest peaked Go and buy Jeffro's books and start reading for yourselves. I do have to issue a, a warning with this, though, um, you, because you can't go back. Uh, if, you, if you read even five of these books, it will change you forever. Uh, uh, like uh, Neil Armstrong's son uh, complained about how he couldn't watch science fiction movies with his dad because he would sit there and tell you all the scientific reasons of why the movie was terrible, right? Um, if you re if you start reading these books, if you go back and, and see uh, where science fiction and fantasy came from, why there is e even a science fiction and fantasy field to begin with, um, when you see new stuff, uh, especially the movies and television, uh, you you can't help but compare it to the to the past, and what you what you'll see, what you will not be able to unsee, is the way that writers today. Uh, they pull their punches. Uh, they they make these creative choices to make the, the characters unlikable uh, because they feel like they have to or because they can't actually imagine what actually makes a likable character anymore. And uh, across the board, uh, you will look at the, the new stuff and it will become repugnant to you after a while. Uh, and, and then you won't have enough science fiction and fantasy anymore uh, you'll 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 be you'll be digging up all this stuff on Gutenberg uh, and just reading it and you'll get to the point where you actually have to start creating it because there's not enough of it anymore uh, I, not everybody that way yeah people people do come in to varying degrees some people just read it and then they just go buy a bunch of ebooks you know uh, but it it 
it's the whole package is inherently disruptive and it will change <laughs> it really I, I sound it sounds crazy that this could possibly be possible but it changes how you see everything so that's that's some strong words you know I'm probably gonna have to buy your book and find out. I I, I probably just oversold it a little. Was that your, was that your trick all no. along? This is <laughs> no. What you need to do? Life. Here's what you need to do. You need to get up on the main stage at Dragon Con, and read the whole of Appendix N to the rapt crowd, and then make them swear allegiance to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, the time limit I set for the show is longer than a normal show is about an hour. So we've got about 15 minutes left. I want to remind the audience, um, that if you want to ask questions of Jeff or if you want him to talk about specific things, um, that please feel free to, to drop them into the chat. Um, and we will, uh, we'll bring him on to, uh, We'll, we'll we'll answer him on the show or ask Jeff on the show so you can, uh, get those in before we go off the air. Um, let me let me flip back. Um, I mean, that's I almost want to end the show right now because that's the best pitch for why people should read uh, Appendix N. And going back and talking about all of the other stuff, like all the people who are angry and all the people who were, uh, you know, upset about it, is just kind of a letdown. It's anticlimactic um, <laughs> because it doesn't matter. I mean, here's the thing. They have rendered themselves irrelevant because once people start reading the pulps, once people start reading the new pulp stuff, they are not going to listen to the lies that pulps are garbage, that they're amateurish, that they're childish, that they're badly written. They're not that they're cliched. They're not going to listen to the lies that you absolutely should not read them because they're bad. They're wrong. They're filled with offensive paleolithic morals. They're filled with evil thought crimes. People aren't going to listen to that. And so once they actually start reading the pulps, all of the complainers, all of the whiners, all of the censors, become irrelevant because no one who actually reads these books and who loves them is, is going to listen to those censors and whiners and complainers again. And they don't know it yet and may never know it, may never understand it, but they've rendered themselves irrelevant by opposing um, these works. They've rendered themselves irrelevant. Yeah that there's actually something very significant about that uh, that I have only just noticed because, well, it only just happened. Um, uh, for people that have watched this book come together and uh, watched the uh, discussions that have surrounded it, uh, uh, the, the initial pushback was very, very aggressive and very, very ugly. Uh, I, I don't want to get into naming names of who said what and when, but it was, there. <laughs> uh, there was like uh, cultural antibodies that were pushed into motion to stop me. Um, and had I been a little bit less uh, <laughs> dedicated uh, to what I really thought I was seeing and getting the word out, uh, you know, I, 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 could, I, might, I may well have quit, uh, but there were too many eyes on me to do that. Um, so what's happened since the book come out? Uh, all the people who told me I was, I was just really dumb, and went out of their way to, 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 to make that absolutely clear. They are silent. They are completely silent. Uh, used to, some of the, the, the hate blogs would, would run a little story to, to kind of make fun of a point I'd made somewhere. Ah, aha, this was where Jeff slipped up, right? Um, they quit. They, they quit. Uh, that silence uh, is, is a reversal of the old ways, uh, used to, used to for for people that were at all normal or traditional or had had 
a, 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 a standard concept of virtue and 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 all that sort of stuff. Uh, they have quietly made concessions to these people, or else uh, 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 conceded ground to them almost reflexively for decades. Going back to the 40, there has not been a pushback. Uh, not until Gamergate was there a repulse of one of these, these groups coming in to take something over. That was the first time that they were pushed out of, of, of a sphere that they had set their sights on. Uh, so when I, when I say that this book has come out and, and the haters are silent, what they are doing, uh, they are conceding ground to me. They are conceding ground to their enemies. And I think there's something different about that. Uh, and when, when people figure out that the rules in their head about how these things ought to work doesn't correspond to reality, that that's that's even a bigger story in and of itself uh, than the awesomeness of Pulp Fiction, uh, because this whole game, this whole set of actions, can be played out in countless other fields where a similar set of events have gone down already. Um. So let's talk about that. Um, the uh, not about specifically um, uh, these events and these people, but but in a general sense beyond Appendix N um, or after Appendix N. Um, and I promised to get to this, and so now I will, because this is the appropriate time for it. If I could uh, name two, they call it the Pulp Revolution. And what the Pulp Revolution is, it's a group of people who either through Jeffro or through other places, mostly Jeffro, started reading the pulps and started wanting more stuff like them and started creating their own stuff like them. So the two primary names, and there are several bloggers and several books, and I don't want to exclude anyone, and I apologize if I do, but the two primary names are Sky Hernstrom, who is an author that we had on the show, and also Kursova Magazine, the editor of which, P. Alexander, we had on the show and who is in the chat right now. If we want to talk about beyond Appendix N, what's happening is not just that people are rediscovering these stories and loving these stories and talking about them and understanding them and, and also looking at the history of science fiction and where they got buried and why they got buried and who did it and how. They're also, and this is the best part, as awesome as it was to discover the pulps, as awesome as it was to finally start seeing paintings that were full color, as awesome as that was, what is even better is that people are not just rummaging around in the past and saying this is neat. They're being inspired to go out and create stuff for themselves. They're being inspired to go out and paint entirely new paintings in full color. Sky Hernstrom does it in his novellas and short stories. Kursova magazine exists to highlight many authors, some of whom are, you know, who published stories in the 70s, and most of whom are brand new who, whether or not they consider themselves part of the rev uh, Pulp Revolution, whether or not they've ever heard of the Pulp Revolution, they have decided to write stories in the vein of the Pulps to paint their own, by way of analogy, to paint their own full-color paintings. And it's awesome. And it's great. So if you have a chance, check out Kursova Magazine. They're running a Kickstarter right now for issues five and six, you can get both of those issues of the magazine in PDF form for, I believe it's $1 for both. It might be $1 a piece, but it, 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 I think it's $1 for both. And you can check out the fruits of Jeffro's work after or beyond Appendix N, new stuff is happening. This is not just a static retread of the past. What's best about it is people are going out and making new stuff. 
and, and there's there's one more level beyond that, one more layer to the the scenario. We uh, our book lists and what's at the library and what's on the on the shelf at the bookstore, all of that has been top down for decades, uh, and. And the a lot of us have gone into to the bookstore and we, we want something to read and we just come out and we have this kind of weird feeling like you feel like, gosh, there really should be something more to read, but I just don't see anything that's really doing it for me. Um, uh, the, the excitement around the pulp revolution and Appendix uh, and and all this puppy stuff and, and Castalia House, uh, all of it uh, is has created an informal network of people. Uh, that are in conversation uh, with the classics, with each other, uh, with uh, some of these uh, uh, this next wave of, of authors, science fiction fantasy authors, and, and it's created an, an informal network of people that has created a, a structure where socially the cream rises to the top. So uh, there's a, if you don't know what you should be looking at, uh, what is awesome, and you're in this scene, uh, you know. It, There'll be books that come out, and they'll go, and then uh, over the course of like five months or so, you know, six or seven different people will be like, "Hey, that's awesome!" and 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 you'll try to ignore it. You'll be like, "No, I got too much to read. No, I got too much to read." No, and then one day, there's just one person that you trust too much. You know what they believe about this and that movie or this and that book, and you know that they're pretty reliable. And then they say, "Look, this guy, uh, you know, Brian Niemeyer. He, you really got to look at it." And, and it finally filters up. It goes from bottom to top what you should be reading on Twitter. I, I see it happen all the time. There's all these people on Twitter now who weren't reading much science fiction fantasy at all uh, years ago. And now all of them are complaining that they've got more in their to read pile than they can keep up with. And this is, this is like the, 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 the betrayal. Uh, it's almost like the publishing industry has not been in the business of serving the reading public. Uh, the, the fact that a, a guy from a, 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 a few guys from the D&D blog scene could come in and shake things up to the extent that they have, to me, uh, illustrates just how much the professionals are not in the business that they're supposed to be in. Because it, it shouldn't take us to come in and fix this. It really shouldn't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit the way you would think reality should work. But the people that are hooked into this, they are excited. <laughs> and they, they have a totally new problem now. Uh, uh, too much to read. Too much good stuff to read. And uh, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, you can go look at the other fantasy and science fiction blogs on the internet, and you don't see this kind of excitement. Uh, the, the excitement that you see in this scene are people who for the who for the first time in decades science fiction and fantasy is alive uh, they they and they they don't just have all the books to read they've got this awesome community too and it it's it's a game changer it, it's it's completely a game changer here here um, I've got a question from the chat actually so, someone can't get enough of your stuff Jeffro what's your next book oh uh, the next book, the working title is Beyond Appendix N, because when I was writing in Appendix N, they, uh, the, the most common complaint was, why are you writing about Appendix N? <laughs> like, why don't you write about something after 1980, you know, or why do you write about something that didn't inspire D&D? &D? It's like, well, the, you know, the book's about uh, works before 1980 that inspired D&D. &D. Um, so, oh, and the other thing was, it's like, well, you know that uh, there are works before Appendix N. Right, that inspired the Appendix N authors, and I, I tried to include that in the book. I, I made a point, like, look, the Appendix N of Appendix N is in Appendix N, because you can see how A. Merritt, for instance, inspired all the other authors that came after him. Same with, with Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, but yes, there there is a, another layer back that all of these guys read. Uh, there are more authors who are unfairly excluded from critical discussion and uh, from coverage in, in, in fantasy and science fiction blogs. Um, there's more work to do. Now so yes, yeah, beyond that's, Appendix N. That, that sounds great. I, I just want to interrupt because a thought came to my brain and I can't, I can't keep thoughts in. Um, it, you sh you've shown a big light on this massive hole 
in my personal education as far as a literature and especially American literature goes, where we'll, uh, I, I recall skipping from stuff like Thoreau and, uh, and old English stuff like, uh, you know, you might read the picture of Dorian Gray in high school, what have you. And then there's this whole period of time that sort of gets leapt over, right? You, you read Mark Twain and then you sort of skip to latter 20th century works, you know, your F. Scott Fitzgerald and whatnot. That, there's that whole period in between that even a century, like 1840 to 1940, that sort of gets leapt over in a lot of in a lot of curriculums and especially in mine it's just empty right well, well the, the secret that that they're keeping from you uh <laughs> is that uh well yeah the, the two the two secrets uh, uh the the people that were active in writing especially the science fiction and fantasy you know they 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 are pushing really hard right now that mary shelley invented science fiction and uh even before that you would see a commentary on it that uh you know you you you've got wells and verne and and, and then it kind of skips to asimov highland clark and what what they actually did you know, and and nobody notices this because they 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 haven't read um or if they have read they they have you know the, the the sort of boiling frog thing happened, and they never noticed the, the bait and switch, but they really did cut the heart out of the genre, um, and because the people who made this stuff, they are in every way inconvenient to uh, political interests that control the media today. In every way, just as just as one example. Um, you, you know, the, the, the narrative says that, you know, like, you know, in the 1950s and before that, that marriage was just this horrible thing, right? Where the, where the wife was just basically virtually enslaved, right? But you go back and you look at the relationships of, of the writers, C.L. Moore and her husband, and then Lee Brackett and her husband, it was very much everything that, that we've been told didn't exist. They, they, they collaborated together. Uh, and their works, uh, some of them to the point where you can't tell who wrote what, uh, and it's it's it it just doesn't fit. Uh, everything, you know. So someone someone commented on me that they said, "Oh wow, this is great." He, you know, he he, you know, Jeffro Johnson actually writes about this stuff uh, about in a way as if someone who was there. Uh, and 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 it, it's because I'm going back to primary sources that I even have uh, half the uh, ability to, to talk about this that I do. But you know, Michael Moorcock, when he was uh, talking about Lee Brackett and C.L. Moore and uh, uh, Francis Stevens, even he pushed the idea that they changed their names uh, to be more masculine so that they they could fit in. He he was much closer to the past than I ever will be. But yet he got the narrative of his times that was completely in opposition to reality. Um, so all of this, it, it's, 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 it's com completely inconvenient start to finish. Uh, it's not an accident that these guys are either uh, smeared outright or ignored completely. Uh, it, it happened. You, you <laughs> and um, you know, bringing them back into cultural discussion uh, the, the way that it's happening at the Castalia House blog right now is disruptive uh, because it, 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 everything that people think they know about science fiction and fantasy, you know, even, even our closest allies, you know, they, they're finding out that they've really got a second or third hand narrative from a, a, a totally different time period, you know, that goes back to like the sixties or something. And they're just repeating it. And, and it, it had an agenda when it was said then, and it has an agenda when it's said now. But, you know, reality is so much more interesting. You know, the, the... Um, I, and I want to say this. Um, for those of you that are interested in checking out the Kursova Kickstarter, I've already put a link to it in the description. I've already put a link to Sky Hernstrom's uh, Amazon page in the description, and I've also included now a link to Castalia House. So all that is in the description underneath the video right now, 
if you want to check those out. Uh, and they will all obviously be there for people who come back later. So uh, we've added all that stuff so that you can go and find what we're talking about here if you want to check it out. Um, we are down to the last few minutes of the show. So uh, I want to give Jeffro less chance to say pretty much anything he wants for a couple of minutes. All right. Well, the, the book is out. It's it's on Amazon. Uh, the uh, paperback, a lot of people ask me about the paperback. Uh, the trade paperback, last I heard, was going to be February-ish. Um, and the reviews are, they're, they're staggering to me, uh, what, what people are saying in the reviews. Um, it's... Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a of a of a sleeper because uh, because uh, it, it, I think it takes six months for uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 kind of the paradigm shift to really percolate through people's brains. So you're you're you're, you're going to see uh, uh, people buying it, saying nice things about it, and and then you know six months later there'll be like the explosion. You know when 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 there's finally a critical mass of like oh you told me a lie, everyone's been lying to me. So. Um, just, just, uh, just be patient. <laughs> uh, get in now so that uh, so that you'll be uh, appropriately awake when the fireworks start to fly. So, <laughs> um, Brian had to leave because he had a uh, a prior engagement, and we were going to be running along today. So he left uh, during the show. Um, but uh, John, do you have anything else? Uh, any other comments before we go? I could take up another hour. Jeffro, thanks for coming on. It has been a great show. Thanks for everybody who are, who's listening. Love to have you back sometime so that we can talk about the gaming half of it. Yes. Yes, I do talk about gaming in the book. That That's, that's actually in there. I've been following a little bit, just barely, the old school revival, and I'd love to touch on that in a future show. Yeah, let's do it. Um, all right, folks, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. I just want to, again, if I haven't made my enthusiasm for these works that Jeffro's discussing clear, they're awesome, they're great, and uh, you should read them. I have read a ton of them since I started reading Jeffro's uh, posts on Appendix N, and uh, they're, they're really, really good in ways you can't imagine until you start reading them. So go get Jeffro's book, uh, and then start checking out the works and the authors he discusses. Go to his blog. Uh, we have, again, links to it in the description. And go to uh, the Castalia House blog, where, they are, where more discussions about these works and about the time period are continuing to take place. Um, it is, it's an exciting time, and uh, people are going out and creating new stuff. So by all means, if you're interested, check out the, uh, the Kickstarter for Kursova, and check out the Sky Harnstrom's author page as well. You'll find some excellent new stuff that is written today in the same vein as these classic works of science fiction and fantasy. I uh, Thanks for everyone who turned in. Thanks for everyone in the uh, comments. The last question we had that I want to mention is, do you have any plans for an audiobook? No, but I, I do know people that do audiobooks and they're fans, so <laughs> we'll see if anything shakes out of that. Okay. Um, this has been Geek Gab for Saturday, January 28, 2017. You can always check out all the gabs on youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also get us in a variety of other places, including iTunes. You can subscribe to us to the iTunes store for a podcast that you can listen to us on your iPod or iPhone or iPad, whatever. You can also uh, get us on SoundCloud to stream us on the web or even to download the show through SoundCloud. And we are also available now on the Google Play Store. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks to everyone in the chat. It's been a, a great show. We really, really appreciate you uh, showing up and being involved in the discussion here. And we are tuning out for today. We're checking out. We're leaving. We're going to leave you absolutely breathed. But don't worry. We will be back.